Hey everyone, this is co-host Chris Clow. Before we get this week's episode started, I just wanted to forewarn you that you may hear an abrupt, slightly loud noise at some point in this show. When you hear the following sound, which you should find very familiar as a Star Trek fan, that means that we're about to discuss a theory we're developing that could have quite an impact on future episodes of the show, if it turns out to be true. We want to emphasize it is just a theory, but if it does end up panning out, having just the germ of the idea in your mind could affect your enjoyment of a future episode of Star Trek Discovery if you want to be totally surprised by everything the show will offer in the weeks and months ahead. Just thought I'd make that clear before we get underway, but without further ado, here is the newest episode of Discovery Debrief, a Star Trek podcast. Thank you for downloading, and I hope you enjoy it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Discovery Debrief. We are now here for episode four, and we are glad to come back to you to talk about one of the single greatest space adventures ever conceived in human history, Star Trek, and the latest chapter thereof. I am co-host Chris Clow, and I am joined by Rachel Clow. Hi, Chris. Long time no see. Yeah, how about that? It's great. Uh, <laughs> Zachy Hassan. Here's mud in your eye. Yeah, perfect. And Cicero Holmes. Uh, I don't know if you guys can hear me. I'm having issues. Yeah, we can hear All you right. fine. Uh, it must be the no, Saurian we're... Brandy. <laughs> he's, he's trapped in a Klingon uh, battleship prison. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> got to try and break him out now. Oh, got to get on that. Oh, man. Well, uh, you know, I, I, I feel like I say this every week, but uh, wow, that episode this week was something else. Again, you know, since since we're in such an early going with Discovery, it feels like it's still kind of finding its footing. But for a show that's finding its footing, it is very well establishing the rules by which it's operating. So that's pretty cool. Uh, but anyway, what, why don't we start off like we do every week with what we've been up to in Star Trek. So Cicero, how did you interact with Star Trek since the last time... We recorded. So I've done two things. I am, uh, I am having somewhat of a Zacky like experience with my partner, where oh, where nice. she is consuming Star Trek really on on the on the television side for the very first time with Discovery, uh, and and I think the her breadth of knowledge of Star Trek are just the J.J. Abrams films. And not even not even the the previous films, and so she is watching Star Trek with no or Discovery with no with none of the baggage that we have of all of the fifty years of Star Trek. So um, I, I'm really interested in getting her takes on the characters and the plot points and whether or not she's watching this you know like she's watching it with virgin eyes and and it and it's a, a very interesting experience uh, and experiment for me um the other thing that i'm doing is i feel like my supplemental trek is 
the Orville. I talk about it every week. Um, but, uh, you know, if it, if it weren't for the, the, uh, cringe worthy dialogue at times, uh, what a worthy successor to what people expect a television procedural Star Trek to be. Sure. Very well said. It's always fascinating to see how Star Trek strikes a neophyte who is willing to absorb it. I mean, that's to me, that's the key. I mean, you can show Star Trek to someone who's never seen it before, but it depends on how willing they are to, to take it in. But if they actually w- want to go into Star Trek with the idea of, hey, I want to learn what's going on, then seeing that universe strike an, a newbie for the first time is always something that I find really fascinating. Uh, Zachy, on so on that note, then we have to ask you if you managed to continue this week your broadcast order rewatch with your kids, and uh, have you been up to anything else in the world of Trek? Well, c- con- continuing my rewatch, I, we had a double pump this weekend, so uh, we watched uh, Deep Space Nine uh, season two episode Paradise, which right. is a darn good episode. Uh, mm-hmm. The the lesson of which is if you meet somebody who reads paper books and eats non replicated food. Do not trust them. <laughs> that, that's the lesson. Um, and then, and then I watched uh, Thine Own Self from season seven of uh, the Next Generation, which, like, I don't remember that episode even existing. So that's how long it's been since I've seen that. And uh, of the two, I would say I liked the Deep Space episode better. But uh, uh, you know, Next Generation is kind of on its wind down. So I'm I'm feeling a little bit like I did in the spring of 1994, where you kind of knew that the end was in sight for the Next Generation. So you're just kind of like savoring it while it lasts, you know? Yeah. You know, uh, it's kind of interesting because you and I have kind of opposite perspectives on season seven of TNG because I kind of feel at least generally that it gets better as every year goes by. I mean, I, I definitely see a bit of a lull and some senioritis in the middle of season seven, (laughs) but, uh, Maybe maybe I'm just blinded by all good things and the brilliance no, of I, that I, Chris, I don't think you're wrong. I, I I think that what you describe as a lull in the middle is very apt because uh, it, it it there's this dip, and I think it it bottoms out with the episode masks, which is next in my oh yeah, uh, <laughs> kind okay, of yeah. Back. That's that's literally next, uh, but then oh. it starts coming up because you have episodes like Journey's End, which is really good, and then um, the you know um, of course the the build up, build up to all good things. So. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's it's one of those things where you, you take the good with the bad. I think I think the percentage of bad to good was a little bit higher in the final season, but that's not a knock on a show that was still even the quote unquote bad episodes are always at least watchable. Yeah, sure. Yeah, and then that's not something you can necessarily say of a lot of other shows that are on yeah, TV, and, and especially when you're talking about what did they do, like a hundred and eighty some episodes. I mean, the one seventy eight. I think. Yeah. I mean, they got on base with just about every episode, so that ain't nothing. No, definitely not. Rachel, uh, what have you been up to with Star? Because I haven't really actually seen you watch much Star Trek, but have you been up to something else that I have not been privy to? <laughs> Secret, secret secret star trek, trek. <laughs> no i've just been uh, i've been listening to the um discovery desperate hours book on my commutes mm. um so i've been enjoying it yeah i don't want to i don't want to spoil anything uh, of course it, not but it's good well and we alluded earlier to the to the fact that some familiar characters do show up in that book and have you gotten to a point where some of them have started to yes, present I, themselves yes, I have. yes you have and how's that striking you with your continuity jive? Um, 
I can't help but think like why like when I picture them in my head like their uniforms are all different and I'm like how is that working yeah but, well when we'll have to revisit that later because they actually do have to mention that in the book uh, as for me it kind of just has boiled down to basic proselytizing for friends that are unconvinced by both the new show and the franchise at large like uh, I think you guys know Paul Herman yes who's a good friend of mine. We've been podcasting together for most of the past six years or so when he jumped aboard Modern Myth Media. And he's become a uh, a Destiny 2 buddy of mine on Xbox Live over the last couple of weeks. And I'm I'm kind of needling him, just saying, you know, you should try Star Trek. And he is so embedded in Star Wars, so much so that he feels like, for some reason, liking Star Trek would be something of a betrayal. But I always have to try and make the distinction to him that one is science fiction and one is fantasy, and they are totally different, and it's not against the law to like both of them. Not at all, but still still working on that. And I mean, some people who have that perspective, I can understand where you're coming from, but it's not like a rivalry between the WWF and WCW. You know, one does not have to supersede the other when it comes to uh, to Star Trek and Star Wars. So, uh Still working on it. We'll, I think we'll everyone on our panel is living proof of that idea. Yeah, yeah. Yes, absolutely. Rachel was actually kind of a late convert to Star Wars, but she started to kind of come around. <laughs> I'm I'm mad on Star Wars. You're mad on Star Wars, but, but over the moon on Star Trek. Yes. So it kind of evens out. So 75% anyway. <laughs> of our panel. <laughs> Excellent. Well, uh, so we have a, a few news items to get to that deal with the franchise at large. So why don't we do that first? So a couple of things. Uh, the first bit of news that I found worthy of mentioning here on the show it actually doesn't have to do with Discovery, but it has to do with the Kelvin timeline. Uh, Paramount Pictures has recently filled out their summer 2019 release schedule and though there seemed to be initial enthusiasm last year and apparently even a signing of Chris Hemsworth for a potential follow-up, there's no sight of a film to follow up Star Trek Beyond on Paramount's schedule over the next couple of years. And uh, Carl Urban was in an interview recently with Screen Crush, and he said that he and the cast all want to come back and want to return to the Bridge of the Enterprise, but that if there isn't another movie, he said, quote, then I'm really happy to have ended on such a good note. We had such a wonderful time shooting Star Trek Beyond, end quote. And this, to me, is is kind of sad. First of all, because I'm pro-Star Trek, so I want more Star Trek on the schedule. But also, frankly, I thought Star Trek Beyond was the best of the three recent films. So not seeing some kind of follow-up to that is disappointing to me. But, Zachy, you're generally plugged into this. What do you think of uh, of the prospects for a Kelvin Timeline Star Trek four, I, I think that as more time goes by, the prospects dim. I don't rule it out, however, because they have Chris Pine under uh, under contract. They have Zachary Quinto under contract. And I think the key thing is just really bringing the budget down. I mean, Star Trek Beyond didn't perform to expectations, uh, but it performed. It still performed better than any of the previous, you know, the 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 
classic and next generation movies. So there's an audience there for these movies. They just need to bring the budget down and realize they don't need this kind of third act spectacle to bring the fans and the fans will show up or at least enough fans to make it worth their while. I'm like you, Chris. I mean, I, I adored the third one. I really did. I think of the, and I, and I like the, the, the first one also. Uh, but I think of these three, it's the most evocative of the tone, you know, of the series. And, yes. you know, we, we've, we've reached a point now where I look at these actors as these characters and it's, it does, there's no buy-in that I need to say, yeah, that's Kirk. Yeah, that's Spock. And I think, right. uh, the fact that we, we got a second chance with these characters in essence, it's a shame to let that go. So I, I, I would say from my perspective right now, the fact that we have not heard anything is not reassuring. Uh, but I don't rule it out. Cause you know what? The, you know, Star Trek six, Chris, your favorite came after Star Trek five. <laughs> and I think everybody assumed it was dead and buried after the fifth one. So I, I don't rule it out, but I think Paramount, what's not helping is Paramount has had a ghastly couple of years, the last year and this year. And so you know, they're probably looking at, at the, 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 you know, the, the budget figures and they're like, is it worth us throwing X hundred million dollars at this franchise that, that has, that's been on a downward trajectory? You know, they have to ask themselves that question. Yeah. And I think that's a perfectly valid perspective. Cicero, do you have any thoughts I mean, on the potential it, Star Trek? I, like you, I'm, I'm down for any more, uh, any more Star Trek that, that we can get on the big screen. I think it, it really helps it, it'll be a boon to uh shows like discovery to continue to have you know to continue to have star trek on the big screen and and really honestly paramount really doesn't have uh a lot of tentpole series uh to 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 kind of lay their their mast upon um besides star trek uh so i i would i would definitely like to see more I am in disagreement with you guys about whether or not Star Trek Beyond was the best of those of those uh, of the trilogy. Um, but uh, but, I, you know, I, I definitely enjoyed it and I would love to see more. Sure. Zachy, you have something else? Yeah, just uh, I it's worth pointing out another factor in this is that Star Trek is no longer owned by Paramount. The oh. rights are split. And Paramount is essentially licensing Star Trek from CBS. So that's another factor that would play against there being a fourth one, because they're essentially paying a licensing fee to CBS to be able to use it. And, you know, again, that goes into the cost. Is it worth it? If it's a homegrown thing, that's one thing. But this, you know, that's that's another consideration. Sure. And, uh, you know, this show obviously is only going to be going with new episodes of Discovery, but maybe we'll have to throw a couple of other things in there over, uh, like in the off season or in the lull, if we want to talk more in depth about Star Trek Beyond. Uh, that might be an interesting conversation. Sign me up. But, uh, yeah, there we go. So let's move on. Uh, so last week on October 12th, we found out that the full first season of Star Trek Discovery had wrapped production, according to a late night tweet from executive producer and co-showrunner Aaron Harberts. So interestingly, production lasted just about nine months, which is just under the time it took to shoot the full first season of Star Trek Enterprise back in, 2000, in 2001, even though that first season had 26 episodes compared with Discovery's 15. Uh, so even though the first season of Discovery is now in the can, so to speak, there is still no official word on whether or not there will be a season two 
but uh, Alex Kurtzman, who's one of the co-creators, has hinted that it may not be out until early 2019 if it is indeed picked up. So we'll have to figure out exactly uh, what the schedule is going to be. Hopefully we'll have a clearer indication of a second season of Discovery by the time the first season finishes up. But uh, sounds like we might have some room for a, a, yes. a Star Trek Beyond discussion. <laughs> and a Star Either Trek way. Enterprise discussion. <laughs> uh, yeah, hey, hey, all of the above. I'm, uh, yeah, lots of Star Trek. Dis- I'm down for, for whatever you guys want to do. But uh, So another note, the year's last round of episode titles has been announced after next week's Lethe. Did we decide if it's Lethe? <laughs> oh, I forgot. Release? Okay, it's, well, like, it's like Lethe or Lethe. something like that. So that one... Uh, will be followed by Magic to Make the Sanest Man Go Mad on October 29th, which is actually a line taken from the Iliad by Homer. Then on November 5th, we get Civis Pacem Parabellum, which is a Latin phrase meaning, if you want peace, prepare for war. I wonder who that's going to talk about. Uh, then on November 12th, we get into Into the Forest I Go, which might have a basis in John Muir's writing, but who knows how it's ultimately going to apply to Star Trek and this show specifically. So uh, very interesting stuff. We'll have to see how the year takes us out before we get led into the next half or I guess just the next phase of season one. And then the one last little bit of news that I found interesting just from a continuity perspective, uh, the second tie-in novel to Star Trek Discovery called Drastic Measures, which is written by an author named Dayton Ward, is coming in February of next year. And very interestingly, especially to me as an original series guy, it plans on delving into the backstories of both the captains we've met, Philip Giorgio and Gabriel Lorca, and it uses a very well-known canonical tragedy in Star Trek history, the executions on Tarsus IV, to which a young kid named James Kirk bore witness 10 years before the Discovery show started, that is going to be the uh, catalyzing incident that brings together, at least to a degree, the stories of Lieutenant Commander Lorca and Commander Giorgio, 10 years before the Battle at the Binary Stars, and they apparently together are going to hunt for the man who would come to be known as Kodos the Executioner. So... That, to me, is really exciting. I love The Conscience of the King, which is the uh, original series episode where Kirk gets to confront Kodos for the first time since he was a child. And uh, it's really, really cool. You guys, you think you guys might check that out? I don't know how you feel about EU stuff in general. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll trust your, uh, your uh, reviews to determine whether I check this stuff out. But, but Dayton is a friend, and uh, certainly the fact that he's writing it, it makes me more inclined to give it a look. Excellent. All right. You think you might check this one out, Rachel? After oh, I, I definitely will. That sounds interesting. But yeah. you know, they're not going to catch Kodos. Spoiler so. alert. Well, yeah, clearly, <laughs> clearly not. They don't, they don't do a good job. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll we'll have to see. Uh, Cicero, I don't know. How do you feel I about personally EU stuff? Love Is this something EU that you stuff. Want to do? Um, I was a huge, huge fan of. Speaking of Star Wars, uh, the Star Wars EU. Um, Headlined by, of course, by Timothy Zahn, and and uh, was you know yes. was crestfallen to find out after Disney's acquisition of of the Star Wars brand uh, that that EU stuff uh, no longer was canon. Um, my problem with with reading right. books in general now is that I drive for my commute, so I don't have the time to read. Um, however. Pending your recommendation, I will more than, be more than happy 
to read it uh, or listen to it via an audible uh, books on tape or, you know, recorded book of some sort. Um, there is a popular there's a popular app sure. for that stuff. If they want to sponsor us, I'd be more than happy to name it. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, and you know the uh, audiobooks in Star Wars are actually structured more like uh, radio plays in the sense that they actually uh, like they change the oscillation of voices depending on the characters. Like whenever the narrator talks uh, through Vader's voice, they actually bring the voice down to kind of match James Earl Jones. There's nothing like that in Star Trek audiobooks. But, uh, I mean, so that just puts the impetus on the writing itself to be captivating. And so far, Desperate Hours has been, I think, very good. And I think you, you're enjoying it, too, yeah. Rachel. Yeah. yeah. So hopefully this one will also follow. But, I mean, just considering the era and the characters that it's going to be talking about, it seems really cool. So with that, why don't we move into the actual episode discussion? It's Star Trek Discovery Episode 5, which is entitled... Choose your pain. So we're going to go through this uh, a little bit, a little more in depth uh, than than we normally do. I'll uh, I'll try and give some broad strokes to the actual events just to sort of refresh our memories, and then we can uh, we can dive in to the actual discussion. So the episode began with a meeting between Captain Lorca and some of the brass of Starfleet's Admiralty who basically tell Lorca that Discovery needs to be protected from harm since they have only one active spore drive ship in the entire fleet. Lorca, of course, chafes at this because he's a soldier first, but we also found out that he and his ordering vice admiral, whose name was Katrina Cornwell, are on a first-name basis, and they're friends. And she ribs him about getting his eyes fixed. There was a really cool moment right before they started speaking where he is uh, putting some kind of medical device on his eyes to treat them, and she turns the lights up way too fast, and it causes him very visible physical pain. And so she turns them down, and then she says, you should get those damn things fixed. But then they actually have a conversation about Michael Burnham, which ends with Lorca telling the Admiral, her, his friend, Katrina Cornwell, in no uncertain terms, that the wartime latitude he was given on Discovery means he can have whomever he chooses to serve under him to combat the Klingons. So the first thing that kind of comes to my mind just about this meeting, this calm before the storm, so to speak, is that it was a bit more expository than most of the other things that we saw in this episode. But my general feeling is that exposition is not dull at <laughs> all when it comes to Captain Lorca. Does anyone else feel totally similarly agree. to that, totally uh, Rachel? I think... I thought it was really fascinating that um, the Admiral suggested that he could get his eyes fixed, but he's choosing not to. Is that what she was saying? Yeah, well, because he, he had alluded in the in the first episode or in the in the third episode, excuse me, that he could get his eyes actually replaced, but he wanted to keep his real eyes. Oh. And that's what was actually keeping him from doing it. But I mean it does say something because conceivably by the twenty third century Artificial eyes are going to be able to perform fine, but right, yeah. he's yeah, but, insisting. But Jordy didn't have. Jordy, Jordy eyes. had. Uh, no, he, he had spectrum. Well, not until he had later. A whole spectrum of, of vision. Yeah, I mean, his his visor was like better than. And it, eyes, and right? if memory serves, yeah. it saved the asses of the Enterprise D on yeah, more than like one occasion. <laughs> there were butterflies in the sky. Oh, okay. I guess. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there is. I just, it's an interesting choice. <laughs> 
Uh, Jackie? No, the, I mean, the episode also, later on in the episode, we get more of a reason why he doesn't want to get his eyes replaced. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so I, I think that that's also part of it, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, I guess one of the things, too, that I find interesting just about that is that uh, considering his background and considering what he devotes himself to, he is uh, fundamentally giving himself a tactical disadvantage, which I thought was kind of fascinating like he he will live with it if it means holding on but we'll we'll actually get into the uh the the specifics of why he he feels the way that he does when we get to the later part of the episode but one of the things that i also no, wanted the to only thing did you have that, something you wanted to bring uh, what into we're this? learning about gabriel Lorca is nothing is black or white when it comes to him nothing is straightforward yeah very well said and i think that that's definitely going to be continued if this episode is any indication but we'll get into that later uh so one of the things i wanted to ask you guys because we had talked a while ago about the possible involvement that section 31 might have on this plot especially considering that Lorca's authority in some ways seemed invisible when he decided to bring uh michael burnham onto his crew like he didn't care uh, about the fact that a court martial had taken place and that she was convicted for her crime. Uh, so does an actual conversation with command that we see in this episode make you feel more or less like there might be some section 31 involvement going on? Zachy? I don't know, man. I think, you know, I, I still feel like just, just the, 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 the registry number of the ship is such that it, you can't help but make that connection. And it feels so yeah. obvious to me that i i don't i don't it it would feel like an oversight if it's not connected in some way sure you know so that's where i'm at i mean i don't know but i feel like there's got to be something yeah i'm i'm i think i'm inclined to agree <laughs> exactly what do you or, i'm uh, sorry cicero what do you think <laughs> right exactly <laughs> so, uh, my transporter uh, duplicate uh, well yeah i would <laughs> i would uh, tend to agree with you guys about uh it not being an oversight i mean it it just it just seems too sloppy for it to be an oversight um on on their case and and again these guys have they have so much lore they have so much information at their at you know at the ready for them to to make a mistake in in the biggest of air quotes such as that uh that it you know it just doesn't seem like that would make a lot of sense however what i will say is that lorca's lorca's uh rationale for for how you know for how and why he conscripted uh, uh burnham makes perfect sense without you know, without any clandestine um, black site organizations to be involved. So, um, you know, I mean, if you want to take it at face value, he was able to cite a well-known article within, you know, within the Articles of War uh, to to justify his conscription of Michael Burnham. So and then and then, of course, you know, sitting back and saying, look, I don't care what how how I'm viewed back on earth or I don't care how I'm viewed by the UFP or or you know or Starfleet in general my only concern is whether or not I can aid you know aid Starfleet in winning this war and you know and then when the dust settles after we've won this war if you guys want to talk about some you know what I should or shouldn't have done then then that's fine I'm okay with that 
And uh, you know, I'm I'm okay. I'm okay with Lorca doing that. Very, very much. <laughs> <laughs> he definitely seems effective. I I, I will give him that. Uh, but also to well, just another reason why we probably need to move on from from Lorca at least a little bit. But Rachel, what do you think? Section thirty one still still a possibility? Yes. Yes. Definitely. All right. Yeah. I mean, it's hard not to think that they're not lurking around the corner somewhere when it comes to the Federation in wartime, because the last time we saw the Federation at war in the future, they were all over the place. So uh, very, very interesting stuff. One last point before we move on to the next plot point. Uh, so according to showrunner Aaron Harberts, you know, there's a um, there's a show that takes place immediately after Discovery where they discuss the episode with cast and crew. And Harbert's yes. on that show, I think, I think it's just called After Trek. Uh, he said that Admiral Cornwell has training as a psychiatrist. So in their more casual conversation after the official meeting, she's actually professionally assessing him because she's worried about her friend. And I thought that that kind of painted the scene a little bit differently uh, because it makes you look at how she is absorbing what he is saying differently. And I'm wondering if, uh, if we're going to get maybe a greater hint in the future and whether or not Lorca's psychological makeup is going to be potentially partially damaged. I mean, we, again, something later that happens, we get the hint that, yeah, it might be, but, uh, how how did this strike you guys? Because right. she clearly cares about him. Uh, she cares about her friend. But he also, even to her, seemingly comes across as a little unstable. And she's apparently a flag officer who's allowing this guy to be the, in, in command of a starship. Uh, I don't know. What do you guys think about that, Rachel? Um, I I don't know. He, he, it seems strange that he's allowed to just be do whatever he wants and he <laughs> seems a little crazy and like he's choosing not to re- have full vision i don't know I, <laughs> yeah some something's definitely going on fetched yeah maybe, maybe a little but maybe he's just that good i guess know? well he certainly that's, thinks that's probably so it. he definitely thinks so Zachy, how does this add to the tapestry of Gabriel Lorca for you? You know, it just deepens the mystery. I mean, I I, I think the character is is just, you know, he's just nothing but shades of gray. And I think it's it's one of those things where I I, I said this before, and I I I really like the character, but I don't know yet if I admire him. And I think we're we're on this journey with him, and it you know. On the one hand, you wonder, like, is this a redemption journey for him? And the truth of it is that uh, we're, we're going to have to wait till we get to whatever the show's destination is for him before we can really take it in. But, but I mean, I think Jason Isaacs uh, is such an, I mean, he's such a presence and he, he just, um, he, he's impossible not to watch, you know? Yeah. 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 Uh, I, I, I entirely agree with that. Talented Cicero. and tortured. How does um, those are two words that I'd use to describe uh, Captain Gabriel Lorca. Um, he's it's it's clear, uh, you know, obviously, uh, you know, once once we talk about, you know, as you sit and you watch the rest of this episode, if you didn't if the previous uh, I guess the previous two episodes in which he was already in um 
if those previous two episodes didn't lead you to believe that there was something wrong with his psyche, um, this episode confirms that um, or leaves no doubt that there is definitely something uh, something up with his psyche. And, and you know what? It's he is the embodiment. And this is this is something that we haven't seen since uh, since the ground troops. And I can't remember their name now in, in uh, Enterprise. The the like the Makos, right? That like the Makos. These are Makos, yeah. These are warriors, and and Lorca is a soldier, and he and what you what you witness in him because the performance is so great is a soldier's torment, and and, and in fact, what you see is a commander's torment uh, in in him um, when yes. he realizes. He's he's tortured and tormented, but he knows the job is not done. And so he doesn't give himself the respite that a normal human being would uh, would give themselves because he knows he still has the job that he has that is left to be accomplished is greater than his need for uh, a debriefing. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, very, very well said. I think that that kind of encompasses where he's at, at least at this position in the episode, because holy hell do we have a a, a figurative and literal bombshell uh, to talk about a little later. But, so in the episode, after the uh, the meeting with the Admiralty takes place and he has his more casual conversation, uh, on the way back to Discovery, Lorca's shuttle is intercepted and he's taken prisoner by a group of Klingons led by Lorel, the former and maybe future partner of the albino Vok. And from there, we then move back to Discovery, where Burnham is beginning to express more active worry about the damage that the spore drive may be doing to Ripper. And to that end, she enlists Dr. Culber to run some tests and see if Ripper's physiology is being adversely affected by the use of the spore drive. In the meantime, obviously, since Captain Lorca has been taken out of commission, Saru has been made the acting captain of Discovery, ordering that Ripper be used regardless of the fact that Burnham and Colber approach him with their findings in relation to Ripper's physiology and his condition in order to, uh, to locate Lorca and his captors as fast as they possibly can. Then we see a test jump. Ripper is seemingly put into a comatose state because he was very adversely affected by the jump. And Burnham warns Saru that another jump could potentially kill the creature, but Saru still refuses to listen. And obviously through this, we also see a, uh, a very consequential bit of research between uh, uh, Stamets, Burnham, and, uh, and the cadet that a lot of people have been talking about over the last couple of days. So... We finally get more of Dr. Culper, though, and so he gets more of a chance to shine. So my question to you guys is, could Culber be a source of a more traditional moral perspective on the crew of Discovery in relation to some of the other officers that we've met so far? Zachy, what do you think? That sure seems to be where they're headed with him right now. I mean, it's just... just based on this episode in isolation that's definitely his role uh in in the narrative here so one assumes that that'll continue uh further i think i think also uh you know the, the his presence uh leads allows for the thawing of uh, lieutenant stamets a little bit and i think that 
relationship is obviously something that we'll we'll see develop as it goes further. But um, it sure seems like it. Yeah, so far. Yeah, absolutely, Rachel. Um, yeah, he he. I think gave a. He was kind of like my surrogate in this situation. Like I, I can't believe you're gonna do this, Saru. Like you, you're crazy. <laughs> uh, that's totally wrong. So like I appreciated that there was someone in the scene who was saying what I was thinking. Well, and that kind of lends itself. So Zachy talked about the the melting of the the shell a bit with Stamets, and that was actually the next point I wanted to bring up. Anyway, uh, we are starting to see his sort of colder exterior start to come down because very, very visibly the idea of harming a potentially intelligent life form gives him pause. It's not something that he wants to participate in and he seems willing to stand up and defend it in a way that frankly, I certainly didn't know he was capable of. I mean, I just, over the last couple of episodes, he's just struck me as this hard ass who wants to get the job done. I mean, he's done a little bit of, of, uh, of talking to the point of scientific discovery and he, that's what his primary concern is. But this is the first time we actually get to see him take a stand for something that he clearly does believe in. And he seems like he's becoming more human as a result. So Cicero, how does Stamets stand with you now after I seeing his Stamets. reaction in this early uh, going? I am 100% on board oh. team Stamets. Um, I think so, so you know, you you uh, you talk about the doctor as being this moral compass. I would argue that it's Stamets that is that is the moral the moral compass for the situation that they're currently in. And obviously, Doctor Colbert has an idealized version of what uh, the Star Trek morality should be, but I think it Stamets has a has a a compass that's more based in the reality of their current situation and and you know scientific discovery this is a ship of science he is a man of science and you know and there is there is beyond the the cold and hard exterior that he's not only had to you know had to have as as a person but had to cultivate as a result of being in Locker's crew um I, I think that you've you've now get to see again layers of who this character is and and how he believes that, you know, there there is good that we can do out there um to better all all sentient beings. Sure. Yeah, very well said. Well we have a woman of science here. Rachel, how how does the man of science in this show strike you after this point in the episode? Um Good, I, accurate. I, I kind of want to jump ahead to the f bombs. Oh, is that what? You, that's what you want to get to? Okay. Well, well, no, no, no. I just want to address them because, like, I, I found that, um, that rang true to me. That when you're like really excited about something, you do say stuff like that. All right, all right. So, all right. Well, well, like, I, I felt like that was like a part of seeing him as a real person. Was he? You was know, the cursing? Were, they were all getting excited, and yeah, I, I, he is humanized in this episode a lot. But I think he was human before. He was arguing with with Lorca, right? Mm -hmm. And because of what he believed in, you just you just didn't get to see him. You know. Well, see, that's another thing too, because Tilly dropped the first f bomb, right? And she thought she was acting way out of line, 
Yeah, I don't yeah. know what Starfleet regulations are in that. Well, like, well, you know. no, but it goes back to your point, though, because Stamets encouraged the fact that, yeah, this is a big deal, and he right. joined her. But it's hard not to look at that and not see implications on the franchise. I mean, the the thing that immediately jumped in my mind, Zachy, was you. Yeah. Because you are watching this with your kids, and obviously this is a show, if you didn't know it before then you probably know now is squarely aimed at adults. So yes, in one sense, I absolutely believe that it served a character purpose. I mean, it made you, at least it made me like Stamets more because he, he had a moment of uh, camaraderie with the, with a crew member that we haven't seen, especially a subordinate. But Zachy, I know that uh, you had quite a conversation on social media over the last couple of days about this topic specifically so what do you think? Yeah, well, you know, I mean, I think, uh, first of all, you know, I watched the episodes first before I watched it, the boys, so thank goodness for that, because we haven't watched it yet. But, um, I, you know, I I see, I think it's a great moment for, for Stamets. I, I agree. It's like, because I, I loved him in this episode. I thought he was great. And I, I, I think that, you know, dropping the F-bomb does serve the character. But, I mean, I I think it is a conversation worth having where you say, well, isn't it okay to to not have to 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 have this be something that it remains family friendly you know and i and you know earlier we talked about star wars versus star trek i mean star wars to some extent is still family entertainment in that sense you know even though obviously like rogue one is a little bit darker and whatnot but i mean in terms of language uh that that is something that that is a concern but i want to clarify here i'm not like on a high dudge in here about it it's like well it is what it is it's fine uh right but but you know i mean yeah in that moment i was like well was there something else the character could have said that would have conveyed the same thing i think so i mean if it was on a network you would have done it you know so i think you know, I'm I'm not. It's it's not something I get too worked up about, but I do feel a little bit like, well, did you really need to? Maybe not. Sure. Well, and I guess in the end, I mean, if you were going to watch this with your boys, you just hit the mute button yeah, exactly. for <laughs> right. ten seconds, and um, then then just power. It back I, I, you up, know right? what? I was shocked. And, uh, and, Cicero, you know, so not were only were there two f bombs, but there was an s bomb too. I don't know, is there an s missile or something? <laughs> So um, yes. now maybe I don't know so if there far, have been yeah. ones that happened before this episode, but this was the episode where I actually noticed them, um, where the you know the first time when uh, when everyone is captive mm-hmm. and uh, and Tyler says says to Captain Lorca or, or somebody does, and and I'm like oh wow did they say that and I'm like okay well I guess it's streaming it's fine but. And then and then a couple of f bombs dropped, and I'm like, wow, that you know, I to to my knowledge, I don't remember any time in Trek. I think there was one time in the voyage home where somebody cursed, but but that was it, right? Yeah, right, right. Not to this extent. Yeah, I mean, it it certainly wasn't an f bomb. But this uh, is the first f bomb, but we've gotten the s word and we've gotten a (laughs) goddamn ass, you know? Yeah, yeah, and you know, I I mean, I'm not all that worried about saying shit on this show. I I mean, I I, I don't know. Oh no, no, oh my god! I am shocked and appalled at you, Chris. (laughs) Well, you know what? You know what would be funny? Okay, you know what would be funny though? Fuck.
and I'm going to put a communicator sound over there. Right. <laughs> so there, that's where I'll where I'll try and, and make the roof. That's but, the line. Uh, maybe that's the only line. I don't know, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, it definitely shocked me. But not in a very similarly to you, Zachy. I mean, I don't really consider myself a prude or anything. But uh, I mean, it is something that we haven't seen in the franchise before, and it's hard not to have a the kind of reaction to that. But then, you know, Rachel makes the point, and I think it's a very valid one, that in the heat of doing something that you are supposed to do, and and in the case of science, it's discovery, no pun intended, uh, you're going to get worked up, right? And you've probably seen it firsthand, (laughs) Rachel. Oh, yeah, well, I mean, we we curse all the time and laugh. (laughs) Mostly because things have gone wrong, not because they've gone <laughs> because right. Because they've gone so right. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I I felt happy for them that something went right. It felt real to you, though. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, I think at the end of the day, that's what's most important. But, you know, if you're a parent and you're considering watching this show with your kids, just be aware that when, uh, when Tilly Burnham and Stamets are on the screen at the same time, if it hasn't happened yet, <laughs> hit mute for a... Just about a minute, and uh, and then turn the volume back up. But one last thing before I moved on to uh, to the next plot point, uh, something that I know probably resonated with virtually everyone on this panel when Saru went into Captain Lorca's ready room and tried to talk with the computer about making himself a more effective commander by looking up the most decorated captains in Starfleet history, and the computer came up with a list of five names all of which we recognize in some degree or another in Star Trek continuity. First one is Captain Robert April, who was the first captain of the Constitution-class Enterprise when it launched in 2245, and who has only one canonical appearance in Star Trek the Animated Series, but he's never right. appeared in live right. action. Right. Uh, but it is a Jonathan Archer. Is like questionable canon, the, the animated show. I, see, my impression... Yeah, that's the, my impression is that it is official now, but for a long time it was dubious for, for at totally best. arbitrary Gene Roddenberry reasons. Yeah, and which which happened from time to time. <laughs> Although I have to I have to give some deference to the Great Bird of the Galaxy when he says that Star Trek Five was apocryphal at best because that just sounds <laughs> that sounds about right. But <laughs> but then the next name, of course, is Jonathan Archer. And uh, I certainly got a little bit of a thrill seeing that name. He was, of course, the pioneering captain of the NX-01 through the entirety of Star Trek Enterprise. And as far as we know, he also went on to become the Federation president at some point. So a very important figure in Starfleet history. Matthew Decker, whom we see in the original series as a Commodore, who went a little bit crazy in an episode called The Doomsday Machine, which is a very good episode. He became captain of a starship called The Constellation, which was also Constitution class. Uh, Philippa Giorgio, it's nice to see that she uh, stands among the, uh, the other giants on this list. So she was clearly one of the absolute best that Starfleet had. And uh, hopefully we'll get even more of an indication as the as the show goes on about exactly uh, what her adventures entailed. And then the final one was Christopher Pike, who, as far as we know, is the current captain of the Starship Enterprise with a junior science officer named Spock serving underneath him. So what ca- what went through your guys' heads? I mean, as, as fans of the franchise at large, Zachy, when you saw these names... And I know it's a comparatively small moment that doesn't mean much for for people who aren't Star Trek fans, but what did this mean for you seeing that? You know, I, I and you know this, I'm a huge fan of Star Trek Enterprise. So the yeah. fact that we get something 
that's that's situated post Enterprise that once again acknowledges the role of that show in the continuum. I mean, uh, you know, the the same way in in the O nine movie when when Scotty mentions Admiral Archer, it's like one of these little moments yeah. where I'm like, sweet. You know, because because I you know for for I, I feel like Enterprise is like the redheaded stepchild of the franchise almost more than than you know some of these other ones, um, and and so I I really like that. I also I like that Saru says uh, living or dead, uh, yeah. And and so the question is, could potentially Captain Archer, for example, still be alive? Well, it's it's within the realm of possibility, and I I I just love the idea of like an elderly Scott Bakula is somewhere out there on, on the, in San Francisco, you know, uh, waiting for yeah. like a, a view screen, a, a cameo, you know, <laughs> I'd, I'd absolutely be into it. Yeah. Right. It's, it's very cool. Zachy. Or, why am I doing that? Cicero. <laughs> Once again, <laughs> engineering, start rerouting. So the I, I, this episode, uh, paid, uh, the Cicero, most homage friend, to fans of the franchise. Um, in heavy-handed ways, and it and it really made me happy. So uh, to see all of those names pop up uh, was great. The thing that I, was interesting to me was the fact that Philippa Georgia was the only one that was a woman um, up up until this point. So, uh, which is you know. Which I find remarkable. Obviously, there there weren't any in the in the Star Trek lore, um, and I guess you you know they didn't want to throw in someone who was who they invented on the spot at that particular moment when they had all of these people from canon um, available to to them. Uh, but it is it is interesting to point out that she is she is the most decorated female captain. And Starfleet history uh, at this point. Yeah, I mean, even potentially more than uh, Erica Hernandez, who was the captain of the uh, the NXO two. Yeah, and I'm, I I would have thought that she would have been decorated, but perhaps not. But Rachel, when this moment came, what did you think? Um, well, right. <laughs> first of all, I uh, I like that Saru googled how to do his job essentially um we needed like a youtube video to come up you know i I definitely feel like that's something i've done when i'm like oh i'm in over my head i gotta google some like simple like get a a generic starfleet youtuber like what's up guys here are the five best captains in history you know (laughs) i just like that for like a like an analytical guy like saru would do that um uh, I think it, like, thinking about your point of Philippa Giorgio being the only f- woman on the on the list, it, it kind of makes sense to me because, like, I don't know, it seems like it, it will be, like, over 200 years before women and men have actual equality. So, like, um, oh. <laughs> like oh. it, it just, it makes sense to me that, that there aren't, um, they haven't achieved that in the first so, hundred years of Starfleet, or however yeah. many years have Starfleet been around at this point. Uh, established in twenty one sixty one, so we're just about a hundred years, hundred almost. Years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, you gotta give them some time, but yeah, um, it was cool. Um, and I guess I was thinking about like how how Christopher Pike could be one of the most decorated captains if he's like still kind of being the captain yeah. I, I like how 
I did, the t- there was some timeline things going on. Well, the like, only how long has he been captain? Yeah, and how we, could he possibly be that decorated? We don't know that for sure. Maybe since we know that this takes place after the Talus Four incident, maybe Star Starfleet just kind of shoved a bunch of commendations in his way in order to make sure that keep him quiet. Yeah, to keep him <laughs> quiet about what happened on Talus Four. But uh, yeah, I mean, I thought that this was awesome. Uh, I was a little surprised to see Decker's name there. Uh, but I mean, I guess all things considered, he he was a very highly decorated captain. But the Archer love, yeah, that's definitely what jumped out to me first as well. But drawing more attention to Captain Pike is just making me more curious about exactly what the Enterprise is doing right now. So maybe they should distance themselves from it a little bit. Maybe I'll forget about it, but probably not. Uh, so next plot point, and this I think is going to be a pretty interesting discussion. So. Aboard the Klingon battlecruiser that Lorca is being held captive on, he's thrown in the holding area with two other humans, a seven-month surviving Starfleet officer named Lieutenant Ash Tyler, played by actor Shazad Latif, and he was captured aboard the USS Jaeger at the Battle of the Binary Stars. And the second one is a lowly human criminal named Harcourt Fenton Mudd played by Rain Wilson, returning for the first time in live action to the franchise since a mid-second season episode of the original series called I, Mud. So in addition to learning about a possible new regular in the form of Lieutenant Tyler, we also learn the kind of horrific details surrounding Captain Lorca's own involvement in the battle at the Binary Stars, where we find out that he escaped his ship after destroying it and the entirety of his crew to try and spare them from torture at the hands of the Klingons. The only one to survive the destruction of his ship was him. So, Zaki, that liking and admiring spectrum, after learning this little detail, how is that balancing out for you now? Well, I mean, I, I feel like there's more to know. And that's, I mean, they've they've left it opaque enough where i mean i feel like we're in for like a flashback that explains what the hell happened Mm -hmm. Uh, because just you know offhand what what i think i think the show is this episode in particular is positioning us to be horrified by Lorca's backstory but there's got to be more to it than that does this bit of his past give us all a reason to be very worried for every soul aboard Discovery now. I mean, and the reason that I ask that is because we we saw at the end of episode three that he has no sentimentality towards starships in general. Like when when the Glen was being scuttled, wasn't it the security chief who said, oh, that's a shame? And then he just goes, eh, it's just a ship, yeah. right? So like, unlike Captain Kirk. Yeah, I mean, Captain Kirk, who for all intents and purposes was in love with the Enterprise and, and Captain Lorca... He just doesn't seem to care, and we find out that not only did he destroy a ship, but he destroyed it with virtually <laughs> all hands. So should should we be worried for everybody, Rachel? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I I agree with Zachy that there's probably something else going on here, but like this is kind of what I was referring to earlier when I was saying like how can they continue to let him be the captain of a starship? <laughs> like, yeah. like I. It's like he exploded his ship on purpose, it, you know, with people on it. Yeah. Um. But yeah, there's just got to be more to that story, or else like, how could they like just 
be like, all right, go back out there. Good yeah. job, buddy. Well, um, you know, Cicero, obviously, I mean, this is kind again, of a, you know, the, I'll the go back to, we to what I previously stated about Lorca and that, and that, you know, nothing's as clear cut as it seems uh, with him. Um, you know, and again, he, he, he purposefully wears the scars of that moment. So it wasn't something that he, a decision that he made lightly, um, <laughs> but but like Rachel's saying, it is a decision that I'm sure he'll, he'd make again, um, given given the opportunity. So uh, there's there's lots of man. There's so much to unpack with him. There's so much to unpack with that guy. And I hope that it's a little bit of a slower burn uh, because I'm sure that that will just lead to some very interesting stories to be told as time goes on. But uh, Zachy, any final thoughts on Captain Lorca before we move on? You know, I'm I'm still fascinated by his arc, and I, I like the fact that he's somebody very different uh, than we we've seen thus far. I I still feel like I don't know for for me the moment more than the the you know uh, the the stuff about his backstory is where uh, he he says in essence his his pain is is his condition with his eyes and it's like a reminder to him of what happened right um and i think so so i think it, as i said earlier i mean I, we're being positioned in this episode to look at him a certain way but i i my reaction when the episode ends is i want to okay let's bring on the flashback so that we can contextualize this a little bit because you know that's going to send us on its way and i will say by the way this episode was was really they spread the wealth with with the rest of the cast. I mean, we got like the Burnham story. She certainly wasn't ignored, but I mean, a lot of good Lorca stuff. Saru, really interesting stuff with him. Stamets, the first time I, I really liked him. Uh, and so, so they did a really nice job. But I wanted to mention this earlier. I love that yeah. Stamets yeah. makes the Spock uh, uh, right. Wrath right. of Khan decision in this. Yeah, movie. yeah, that's true. You know? Uh, the no win scenario was fine. I'll sacrifice myself to save the ship, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, before we, we head to that a little bit more specifically, there's one glaring elephant in the room that I think we should talk about. Uh, so as a TOS fan, I was watching the performance of Rain Wilson as Harry Mudd very closely. And, uh, and I really feel like he did kind of a fascinating job in evoking the original character as played by Roger C. Carmel. I mean, when he was talking, you get the hint that uh, he, he, he had done his homework. I mean, I know that he's a fan of the show in general, but I mean, I saw Harry Mudd. I really did. He's, he was definitely a darker, harder edge guy than we've seen him before, but that's this whole show. So seeing Harry Mudd again felt truthful to me, but what did we think of his uh, triumphant return? To Star Trek, Rachel, Harry Mudd, Harry Mudd's back. <laughs> um, I liked it. I was I was happy with it. So, mm-hmm. um, no complaints here. No complaints. I know you don't feel quite as strongly about the original series as as I do, but uh, yeah. yeah, hopefully it'll be pretty interesting going forward. Zachy, Harry Mudd. Yeah, no, I'm 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 with you, Chris. I think I think that 
it's uh, it was a smart play to take a character who is associated with the original show but isn't as intrinsic as the rest of the main characters so that you sort of t- you're able to tie the show in to sort of the Star Trek continuum and you can absolutely see you know 10 years from now or whatever uh, uh Rain Wilson becoming <laughs> Roger Carmel although I believe if I'm not mistaken uh Rain Wilson right now is older than Roger Carmel was when he played right. Right, right. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, but like in like sixties time. That's like well, <laughs> when you're being bathed in cigarette smoke yeah. your whole life, you age a little faster. Fair, Fair enough. Yes. Fair enough. Yes. Cicero, Harry Mud, and 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 I for people who can't see, so, so you say Harry trust Mudd in Mud in, in your MTOS username in the chat tonight. Was so how did Harry? Well, how did Harry's return just a strike scoundrel, you here? a lovable scamp. Um, like you, you hated when he returned, but you, you smiled because he has, and to see him back was, or to see him first in discovery, um, was, was every bit as, as lovable and, uh, and as scampy as it had been, you know, back in, back in the, the two times he appeared in, in the original series and then uh, again in the animated series. Um, it makes me want to go back and watch the animated series uh, one again because that one was great with the rock monsters. So uh, he definitely uh, portrayed himself as someone who who understood things at a level that nobody else did, um, which which was perfect for Harry Mudd. Yeah, well, uh, it'll. I'll be watching with great interest to see if Mr. Mud makes another return, of which I'm reasonably sure that he's going to. Uh, it's he's just he's a character that definitely had a lot of potential on the original series. I'm really sorry they didn't use him more, and uh, especially considering that Roger Carmel ended up passing away just a few years after his involvement was finished. We never really got to see. Harry Mudd show up in any meaningful capacity in the movies, although that would have been awesome. But uh, get it? He has new life in the form of Rain Wilson. Rain Wilson has breathed some of his life force into Harry Mudd once more, and he's now alive again in the Star Trek universe. Which Rachel's looking at me like that was a weird analogy, <laughs> and it probably was. But uh, so let's move on to the final push of the episode. We learn that Lieutenant Tyler has been kept alive on board the Klingon ship because he's been held at the uh, pleasure of Lorel, of the Klingon who's holding him captive. Lorca is taken and captured by Lorel and tortured to give up information on the spore drive, of which he feigns total ignorance and brings his soldier training to the forefront. Uh, ultimately, this leads to Lorca and Tyler leaving mud behind to escape the craft. We didn't really get into the specifics of why there was some pretty hardcore antagonism between Lorca and Tyler on one side and mud on the other, but suffice it to say that what a shock mud was playing the, uh, the incarceration to his advantage and selling out any of his cellmates. If it meant that he was going to get something out of it. And, and that came back to bite him in the ass basically. So Lorca and Tyler leave mud behind in order to escape the Klingon ship, and seemingly following orders, Stamets on Discovery initiates a jump with the spore drive, because uh, Saru told him, I don't care, basically, that Ripper is in poor shape, you will jump because we need to save our captain. So Stamets initiates a jump, 
Discovery arrives in Klingon space just in time to save Lorca and Tyler, who are, who uh, uh, commandeered a uh, shuttle from the ship. They're beamed aboard Discovery, and as soon as that happens, Discovery jumps back out of Klingon space. Saru congratulates Stamets over the intercom, and Stamets doesn't respond. So Saru and a few other crew members head down into the engineering deck, and we find out that it was revealed that Stamets used himself as the navigator of the spore drive instead of risking further injury to Ripper. And in a bit of a mea culpa, when Saru realizes that he may have been causing some serious problems for Ripper and potentially could have caused its death, he orders Burnham to save Ripper's life. So she and Cadet Tilly save his life by setting him free. And we get to see Ripper triumphantly leave Discovery and go out into the universe once again, who knows where, wherever Ripper wants. So Cicero, last week when you said yes. free all Rippers, got to free, I got got to free, free Ripper. Ripper. I was singing the Michael Jackson Free Willy song um, <laughs> when this was happening. Um, but uh, yeah, like uh, the Tardigrade, uh, the official name um, and uh, AKA Ripper was, was freed. I, I don't know if, uh, Michael Burnham knew that this was this was going to work. Um, she just kind of assumed that it would. Um, and then, then, of course, uh, Stamets gets more points from me uh, for using eugenics to uh, to save the ship, which was which has been outlawed on Earth, not outlawed necessarily by the Federation, but uh, but definitely outlawed on Earth. However, they're not on Earth, so what difference does it make? And uh, you know he showed he showed again that he was a scientist first, uh, and uh, and and like you said he took the he took the Wrath of Khan Spock route uh, to save the crew and save his captain. Um, but I yeah right An ethical exactly. science and and I have a lot of issues about the escape though, uh, and we can, yeah we can get to that in a in a second. Get to everything else first. Talk amongst yourselves. Well, <laughs> Rachel, we got to see a good look at Ripper, who for so, how, somehow got even cuter <laughs> yeah. in this episode. Well, he went into his uh, dormant state, so yeah, that was cute. But I'm glad that he got to go be free. Yeah, I was like, be free. <laughs> <laughs> well. But, I mean, the one thing that kind of arises from Ripper's uh, newly found emancipation, though, because uh, we, we've been speculating over the course of this whole podcast endeavor, we know that the Spore Drive doesn't exist by the time of the original series, at least. Yeah. Uh, so is this the death of the Spore Drive right here, or is this going to be something that, like, when Lorca realizes that, oh, you can put a person in there... <laughs> Is that just going to lead to more kinds of atrocities on the part of Lorca and the crew of the Discovery? Well, Stamets is uh, like right. he's all right, right. now. Okay, like, his the reflection in the mirror isn't like working. Yeah, yeah, right. we we, we like, didn't mention that yet, but yeah. So at the very end of the episode, when Doctor Colbert and Stamets are in their shared quarters together and they're getting ready to go to bed, they're just brushing their teeth, and Colbert walks away, and then Stamets walks away. But for some reason, after Stamets walks away, Stamets' reflection is still in the mirror. 
And the the final few images of the episode linger on that. Right. Something ain't right. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it stands to reason, yeah, something ain't right with Stamets specifically. But, uh, so, but, so you think that this is probably going to have some longer term ramifications for Stamets specifically? Well, yeah, like, I feel like you can't make that kind of drastic changes to your genome without some sort of really strong negative consequences. Mm-hmm. Um, so just, it just stands to reason knowing what I know about biology. So, um, yeah, he's going to be not a little bit not not right. Yeah. Um, you know what this really reminded me of was uh, Stranger Things. The Like the oh. very, the last episode of Stranger Things mm-hmm. had kind of a similar button where like one of the characters is looking in the mirror and like you see like an alternate dimension or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it just it really reminded me of that. Yeah, no, I can see that. I mean, I'll be really interested to see. I mean, I can't help but think that Lorca is going to see this, realize it works with another sentient life form, and then if and when the time comes where he captures a Klingon, where he just shoves a Klingon into that thing. Yeah, and but s- what if you have to be like will? will yourself to go somewhere and the Klingon just like, well, but that's the like, thing. Nah, like we're going over here and then you're like Ripper probably didn't have the will to do it though. Yeah. That's, that is, that is up for debate. And, you know, and Ripper sentience was, uh, was still something that was kind of debated on the, on the, uh, on the ship, even after Ripper was, was released. I, I refuse to assign a gender to, to Ripper. Um, <laughs> But uh, I, 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 I am under the impression that the that the the uh, person that is in within well two things the person that is within the, the the spore drive at that particular moment has to be has to willingly tell the spores where to go. So uh, sure. so you can't have someone who's in there under duress. Um, go in there and take you where you wanted to go because they could potentially just um, sabotage everything. The other thing is that they went through the entire database of a species database uh, when they were trying to find a suitable replacement for the tardigrade. And the only replacement that they found were humans. So it may not be possible for a Klingon to uh to uh oh, that's right to become to become the the uh, unwilling navigator as i as i've told these guys offline i i will tell the rest of the debrief universe what i've said i have one note for this for this uh for this episode it is two words and those two words are traitors abound um and that is I think that uh, Harry Mudd was traitorous within within their captivity, where he had a bug on his on his bug, uh, on his insect friend, uh, that was spilling secrets back to Laurel, uh, so that she could use that against Captain Lorca uh, when she did torture him, and then conspicuously, there were two two members of that. 
of this of this captured these captured humans that didn't have scratches on them and it just seemed really weird to me that both of them were this way Uh, the fact that Harry Mudd was left behind leads me to believe that Lieutenant Tyler is someone to be feared. And methinks, uh, and and lots of people on the internet as well think <laughs> that um, Lieutenant Tyler may not be who he says he is, and instead may be a little albino. Uh, Klingon that we know named Volk. Now, you know, Morel, oh. uh, uh, Volk's would seem to be his paramour, uh, told him in the previous episode that he would have to give up everything in order, in order to, to gain revenge. Um, and, you know, becoming human would mean that he has to give up everything. Uh, Laurel speaks English because she was from a family of spies with those matriarchs. They were a family of spies. So it would make sense that if she could somehow turn Volk human, that she could also teach him English and have all the information that she, that she needs to give him, to feed him to Lorca so that she could, uh, so that they could gain his trust and that he could find out all the information they need on the spore drives when he eventually escapes with Lorca. Another piece of information is that the actor who's playing Lieutenant Tyler also plays Volk. So, so, oh, no. so well, that's it right there. Then. Um, you know, unless they decided that their budget was too big and they just needed someone double dipping, um, <laughs> that may be a hint and a half for you. I think the other hint that that uh, Tyler isn't who who he seems or whom he seems what came directly from Harry Mudd when at a certain point. Lorca and Mud had their, you know, had their moment, and and Lorca drew, uh, drew his line in the sand, and and Mud got angry with him and started disclosing a lot of information about Lorca that he should not have known, um, and I think that was Mud's way of telling him he knows more about him than he should know, and maybe he should try to investigate why he knows what he knows as opposed to just dismissing it as the angry ramblings of some scoundrel. You know, Cicero, I, I, uh, I did some, some digging just now and it makes me think that, well, first of all, so just to, just to get it out of the way, Lieutenant Tyler and Voke are credited oh, they by are two now. different actors, but, but, uh, apparently, CBS announced back in December that the actor who plays Tyler was going to portray a Klingon named Cole, who was going to originally be the protege of Takuvma. But in the final version of the series, he went on to portray Tyler, while Takuvma's protege was renamed Valk, and then Cole was an entirely different character. I tried to find a picture of the actor who is credited as Valk, and <laughs> I couldn't find anything. 
what I kind of wonder is if they're trying to maybe keep a larger secret when it comes to these actors and the characters that they play because there's some uh, Javid Iqbal, who's the actor who's credited for playing Valk. It's kind of unusual because, you know, the people at memory alpha are great star Trek fans who do a significant amount of digging, especially when it comes to real world uh, articles and perspectives on the performers that give life to the star Trek franchise. Javid Iqbal's page is a, 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 a calling it a stub <laughs> would be polite. The only piece of information that's there is that he's the actor portraying Valk in Star Trek Discovery. Something seems fishy about this. And I wasn't even aware of this possibility before it came up. Okay, so Rachel apparently found a picture of Javidi. See, there wasn't a picture of him. On IMDb, there's a picture of him. He has another credit for something called Guilty. That's something out of the Second City. Here in Chicago. Well, maybe we should right. go find him. <laughs> maybe we but either way, I mean, even barring the fact that Javid Iqbal, his uh, his credit history is limited, and apparently is he wearing a like a funny plastic Although, nose and, and plastic glasses with a mustache. Or? <laughs> <laughs> no, he looks like a pretty normal guy. <laughs> Still, though, with with how the final show is shaken out so far, something happened at the production level to change around the names and faces of the Klingons of the, of the consequential Klingons that we're going to be seeing going forward. We're going to have to keep an eye on. Oh, I I have to issue a correction. The picture I found under trivia under this guy on IMDb, it says he is not the actor that played the role of Vok in CBS Star Trek discovery. So this is a different, this is a different Javid Iqbal. I yeah. Something, something's going on. Oh, Something is going on. Boy. Well, I mean, I'm not normally one for conspiracy theories, but there's there is something weird about this because, yeah, okay. So the only the only pictures that Rachel's able to find about Javid Iqbal as credited on Star Trek Discovery are as Valk in the Valk makeup. So. Uh, I don't know. Uh, this is this is definitely something we're going to have to follow. I mean, kudos to them. If there is something going on here, kudos to them for really trying to, to put a lid on it. But, uh, wow. I hope we, we, we might have blown something open. I don't know. We'll have to, we'll so have to watch. So, I guess uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play host for a second and ask you guys, had you, had you thought about that possibility prior to me bringing it up? Um, no, I had, like I said, I didn't trust Tyler. I thought that there was something fishy going on there. Um, like, especially during the fight with, um, with him and, uh, Lorel, I felt like he could have kind of pushed her out of the way of the, of, of Lorca's, um, fire. So I was, uh, I was very suspicious and, I, but I had not thought that far ahead. But, you know, now that you bring it up, um, so in Enterprise, there's the situation where uh, that 
the plot in the fourth season where they had some sort of virus that was giving human-like traits to Klingons, correct, mm-hmm. Chris? Which is how they explain the discrepancy between the original series and later yeah. shows. So maybe that's going to come into play. The augment virus? Yeah, with the... With this. You know, it, it brings and no, I didn't think of it either, Cicero. But it it immediately brings to mind there was a comic book miniseries that came out, I think, about nine years ago now. That was called Star Trek Blood Will Star Trek Klingons Blood Will Tell, and it was an EU story that dealt with uh with the primary antagonist from the Trouble with Tribbles of all things, who became known as Arn Darvin. But it told the story of him actually being recruited for that assignment. And it showed the surgery that he went through to become human. And he was not a Klingon that was affected by the augment virus. So in pure Klingon fashion, it showed a surgeon with, I don't think there was any uh, anesthesia even, cutting open his forehead and literally sanding his ridges down before sewing his skull back up. And and making him look like, they actually like uh, bleached his skin, like you saw his skin burn when they toss something on it in order to try and lighten his complexion. And it was just like, whoa, if this is Klingon's idea of cosmetics, <laughs> get me the hell out of here. But, uh, no, I mean, I, I did so, not think of that, but uh, now my mind Wikipedia's is Wikipedia's page for Shazad Latif, uh, the actor playing Lieutenant Tyler, says that his given name when he yeah. was born was Shazad Khalik Iqbal. Whoa. Brain has exploded. <laughs> well, uh, apologies for for potential spoilers, but either way, this is fascinating. This is a really interesting level that they probably are going to. I hope the real, like, actual Jimmy <laughs> Come on, I'm a real person, <laughs> damn it. <laughs> oh. Well, yeah, this is definitely something we're going to have to keep a very, very close eye on. Uh, kudos to you for spotting that because it would not have occurred to me. I was just like, why haven't I? Why can't I find any information about this guy out? Because I want to follow right. him on Twitter. I want to see what he says about Star Trek. That was all it was. But uh, holy crap! Well, fascinating episode, fascinating discussion as usual, my friends. Thank you. But uh, we also have, before we actually leave you, we have some listener feedback. We don't have any questions this week, but uh, we do have some feedback that I think it would be worthy to get to. So let's open up our old communicator. So the first bit of listener feedback, we actually got a very, very nice five-star iTunes review from a listener named Aaron Henley, who is quickly becoming a friend of the show. He engages with us at virtually every opportunity and we really appreciate having him as a listener. In his review, he says, I underestimated just how much I would enjoy Star Trek Discovery, and I'm glad to have found a podcast that is both critical where it needs to be, but also shows that these hosts are passionate about the show. And like I said, five stars. Aaron, thank you for providing that. It's always nice to hear when we uh, when we connect with a listener, and we we really really appreciate you sharing that with us and with people who use iTunes and Apple Podcasts. Uh, second bit of listener feedback: we received an email from someone who goes by the name of Hey Berto, and we can't read his entire message because he gave us a lot of material to chew on, but he did say in part. Uh, In regards to one of our earlier discussions about whether Discovery is quote-unquote true Star Trek, he says, 
quote, I'm in full agreement with Zachy's analogy that it's a different flavor of ice cream and I want new flavors. As much as I love classic Trek, it has to be different and modern to remain relevant. He finished up his email by telling us, I think it's appropriate for Trek to continue to look at the nature of human conflict. I'm not sure there's very many people advocating for a pure Roddenberry-esque vision of the future, but for those that think this isn't Trek, they need to look at the core of what made Star Trek what it is back in its heyday. It's not about anything superficial. It's those ideas that Trek has to tackle. And we can't deny the instincts ingrained within us and that remain compelling and accessible. We all want that future where everything is utopian and beautiful, but to do that, we have to overcome human nature, or at the very least, struggle with it. Keep up the great work. I'll be listening each week. Cheers. Very good ideas. And uh, and thank you for for the bit of feedback to us at the very end there. We always appreciate hearing from people. And, of course, I'm certainly in agreement with you. Uh, Cicero, how does that message strike you? three sizes that day. So, um, yeah, thanks. Thanks both to Aaron and to Birdo. Um, it took me, it took me probably about a week, uh, to read all of Birdo's email, but it was, it was a great one. Thank you very, very much for it, Birdo. It, it really does, uh, make you feel good. Sometimes when you're, when you're podcasting, it does seem like you're, you're doing it in the blackness and you're talking into the blackness of space. Uh, so to hear, uh, feedback, uh, critical, positive, or or uh, you know negative. Even um, it is always great to know that people are listening and they have thoughts and they want to share them with you. So, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, people that are listening to this, if you think that, well, I mean, I don't want to write something. Yes. They're not going to care. <laughs> we'll care. Trust me, we will care. We always love hearing. Uh, feedback, whether it's positive or negative. I mean, hopefully it's constructively negative, but either way, uh, it's nice to know that the efforts that the, the time that we're carving out to try and, and bring some Star Trek related content to you, especially if you're a franchise fan, we like to know that it's worth it. And really any feedback that we get, if it's positive, then that will warm our hearts. And if it's negative, it's just going to want us make, it's going to make us want to be better. So if you're thinking about reaching out to us, but you're not really sure if it's going to matter, give it a shot and see if it matters because it's always nice to hear. But, uh, well, any final thoughts before we actually close out for the week? Any final thoughts on this latest episode of there Star are more Trek traders. Discovery, Cicero? Um, uh, traders abound. Uh, you know, we never even talked about how Locker was intercepted in that shuttle. Nor, nor how uh, summarily true. his pilot was dispatched, but everybody else, uh, all the other humans seem to be okay. There are traitors everywhere. Don't trust anyone. <laughs> Very true. Rachel? Javid Iqbal, if you're out there and if the Discovery producers are harming you or keeping you <laughs> prisoner, right. please. <laughs> Right in. Right, blink twice. Know. We will send help. Yeah, we'll, we will try to help you. <laughs> blink twice. Spectacular. Well, so we've reached the end once more. Thank you again to our wonderful panel. But that is going to do it for episode four of Discovery Debrief. We hope you enjoyed the show. 
And if you did, please like and follow us on our social media channels. And once again, if you would be so kind, we would really appreciate it if you wrote a review for the show on iTunes or on Facebook or any other podcasting review section that features Discovery Debrief. It only takes a minute, and we will be happy to read your review on the air when it's posted. If you have any questions, you can follow the show on Twitter at DSC Debrief, where you can also find all of our individual Twitter handles. And feel free to send us questions through Twitter, our Facebook like page, or by emailing us at hailingfrequencies at discoverydebrief.com. Please be sure to set your courses for this feed so you can come along with us next week to discuss Discovery's upcoming sixth episode. But until then, boldly go, my friends. Mm -hmm.